This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor at Cornerstone Church. Continuing our series on Galatians, our text for this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. If you need a Bible, uh, if you need one this morning, you can raise your hand and Usher will bring you a free Bible for you so you can follow along with our text this morning as we continue to walk through this letter of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. This is what God's Word says to us this morning. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You knew, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. In his book, The Grace Effect, author Larry Taunton chronicles his adoption of a 10-year-old girl named Sasha from the Ukraine. It all began, he says, when his wife and his sons took a mission trip to visit orphanages in the Ukraine where they met this girl that they described as energetic, almost fearless, and all in all, a vivacious 10-year-old girl. Sasha, they found out, had been shuffled from one orphanage to another, and Larry's wife and sons quickly fell in love with her. And as they inquired about her, they also made a heart-wrenching discovery. 
that Sasha was HIV positive. The chances of Sasha being adopted were very slim and her future was very bleak. As they returned home, they had emailed their dad about her while they were there. As they returned home for weeks and months, they prayed and talked together as a family and sought the Lord and they decided to pursue adopting her. And throughout this book, Mr. Taunton writes about the many trials and hardships they faced in this process. Raising funds, home inspections, interviews, taking months and months off work to travel, dealing with corrupt politicians, bureaucratic hassles, extortions, and bribes as they entered into the country. When they landed in the Ukraine, they found out that Sasha also had rickets. She was getting very sick. They were very concerned. They went to visit the orphanage, orphanage number 17 that she lived in. He says, as he began to walk around the orphanage, he, he went into the bathroom. He said, in a small outbuilding was the children's bathroom. There was no heat or air, no doors and no stalls. There were only holes in the ground, the walls smeared with excrement and urine. And if that were not enough, the flies and the wretched smell made it intolerable. The children were not even given toilet paper, he says. Their translator described orphanage number 17 as having virtually no rules at all. He described it as jungle law. The kids decided what went on there. It was a daily fight for survival. And through this whole process, they're pursuing this adoption of Sasha. And I love the moment in the book where after months and months of waiting and pursuing and paperwork and raising funds, they are allowed finally to fly home with Sasha. And he says that as they landed in the United States, the laws are that she became a citizen of a new country. He says a week ago, Sasha had never been outside the orphanage system in Ukraine. Now she was literally doing cartwheels in Hartsfield's baggage claim. After almost a year of countless meetings, signatures, inspections, corrupt officials, waiting rooms, spiritual warfare, overseas travel, and emotional highs and lows, it was finished. It was a remarkable story of a little girl being adopted into a new family, a new home. Just imagine... Just imagine with me if after being rescued from the orphanage, all the trials, all the temptations, all the travel from jungle law to being adopted and embraced by a mom and dad and brothers who loved her, from orphanage number 17 to a new home where everything was provided. Just imagine if Sasha years later came to her parents and said, I want to go back. I want to go back to orphanage number 17. I want to go back to fighting every day for survival. I want to go back to the sickness and the hardship and not knowing who I could trust. I want to go back to where I came from. Imagine the heartache and the confusion of her parents who had sacrificed so much to bring her into their family. It's almost unimaginable. In our text today, essentially, what Paul is saying is the Galatians were going back. They are going back 
to the orphanage. They are on the edge of abandoning the gospel. And Paul, in this probably one of the most intimate and personal sections of this letter, is heartbroken. He feels like that. He feels heartbroken. He is perplexed. He begins to recount their past and how good and blessed it was when he shared the gospel with them. And he begins wondering, what happened? Do you not remember where you came from? Have you forgotten the joy of being adopted into God's family and all the blessings? What happened to us? And it's a call, I think, from Paul. In his perplexity, he is calling them to not go back to slavery. Do not go back to being slaves, but enjoy God as your father. He wants them to remember the joy that comes from knowing God as their father and to not return to that place they came from before. Now we're going to have two points this morning from our text. Point number one is the slippery path back to idolatry. We're going to see this in verses 8 through 11. Look with me at verse 8 once again. In verse 8, Paul reminds them where they came from. They were idol worshipers. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that are by nature not gods. Most of the Galatians were Gentiles who were unfamiliar with the God of the Bible. As he says, they did not know God. They worshipped gods and goddesses, false gods. In Lystra was the temple to Zeus where they would bow down and worship the supposed king of the gods. In Iconium, they worshipped the mother goddess Zizamine. So these are not just uh, some idols we may think of today. These are temples built in Galatia that is known for these false gods. All throughout Galatia, people belong to the Roman imperial cult. And so Paul would say that these false gods and their worshipers are demonic, that there is real spiritual bondage when they bow down to them. They were, as verse 8 says, enslaved by this. But he says that was your former way of life. Look at verse 9. He says, but now. Formerly you did not know God, but now that you have come to know God. Knowing biblically is much more than just having information about God. It's a personal relationship. When he says, you know God, he's saying, it's not just, if, if I know you, I don't just have a card of information or stats about your life. I don't just follow you on Instagram from a distance and have information and little glimpses about you but I am a part of your life. I know you. I know your joys. I know your sorrows. I know what's going on with you. He says, you now know God. You have this relationship with God. They had an intimate encounter with God the Father through the Spirit of His Son. They knew God. Christianity is not primarily a matter of what we know, It's a matter of whom we know. And we know God as our Father. Or a better way to say it, as Paul does, is it's a matter of who knows us. 
Not only do they know God, but verse 9, he says, but rather to be known by God. God knows you. And he says, how can you turn back again? Once you know God, once you have this relationship and this experience, as he said in chapter 3, with the Spirit of God, and you know God as your Father, how can you turn back again? Once you've set, been set free from sin and Satan and these false gods who are by nature not God, once you've been brought into sonship with the true and living God, God is your Father who cares for you and knows you and provides for you and speaks to you and encourages you and the Spirit resides within you. How can you turn back? You, you feel Paul's confusion. Why would you go back? It doesn't make any sense. No one chooses to go back to orphanage number 17. Now here's the tricky thing about the Galatians. They thought they were driving forward, but they were actually in reverse. I remember one time riding with my grandmother. My, my parents were gone and I was staying with my grandmother and I had a terrifying moment where she backed out of our driveway onto the road and I guess she assumed she does a lot of things when she drives she you know was always doing something and I think she thought she put it in drive but it was still in reverse and she gassed it and you know my confusion when I thought I was going this way and all of a sudden your body's flying backwards it terrified me I told my parents not staying with grandma anymore you know like I'll just take care of myself but that's what's happening here the, the Galatians they're thinking okay these teachers are telling us here's the next step Here's how we're going forward. Here's the next evolution in our progression of Christianity. Okay, we, we accepted Christ, and now we're going back to all these rules and regulations and laws. We're driving forward. And Paul says, Galatians, you're in reverse. You're going back to where you started. And here's the, the tricky thing. Here's why it's tricky, because if you've been following along with this series through Galatians, you know that what they're in danger of is not going back to the temples of these false gods. That's not what they're doing. They're not going back to Zeus and Zizamine. The danger is legalism. They weren't ignoring God's law, but they were using it as a means of justification. They weren't returning to immorality, but using morality as a way to earn salvation. They are being deceived. And here's what's amazing about this text. Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us this morning, trying to earn our salvation through obedience and morality is just as enslaving as idol worship. They are becoming slaves once again. They are returning to idolatry, but it's not by what they came out of. It's through legalism. Okay? They, they were rescued out of slavery to these false gods, and now these false teachers are driving them right back into slavery once again. Look at verse 9. This is what he says at the end of that. Whose slaves you want to be once more. Wake up, Galatians. You are being deceived. This is why legalism is so dangerous. Because they think they're driving forward, but they're actually in reverse. So you have to ask, as you read this text, you have to go, okay, 
Paul is saying that this legalism they're falling into is returning them to idolatry. How is legalism like idolatry? You could say at least they're living by God's law, right? They're not returning to the temple of Zeus. That seems better, right? But legalism is all about self. It's about our performance, our obedience, our works. They might not be returning to the temple of Zeus, but they are worshiping at the temple of self. They are trusting in themselves. They are putting their faith in themselves. They are leaving Christ and putting their hope in what they are doing. Legalism ultimately is looking to ourselves for salvation rather than looking to Christ. And when we do that, we have fallen into idolatry. They are forfeiting sonship and returning to slavery. And Paul just wants him to say, remember the joy of being a child of God. You're losing that through this legalism. I hope you feel the force of verse 9. They're becoming slaves once more. And he says this in verse 10. How are they doing that? He says, you, you observe days and months and seasons and years. The Jewish calendar regulated certain times and days to celebrate. And some days were more sacred than others. They had the Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Booths and the Day of Atonement and, and regulations on the Sabbath. And what's happening here is being a Christian is no longer the free and joyful communion of children with their father. It's become a dreary list of rules and regulations and rituals. It's do's and don'ts. It's a list of things they have to do to uphold, to check and move on. They are living as servants of their checklist and not as sons of God. I love, listen to this quote by Tim Keller. He says this. He says, there are an infinite number of different ways that we can choose to earn our salvation through works, even if we don't think of it as earning our salvation at all. But whatever we choose to use, whether it is achievement or morality or religion or serving our family, we turn that thing into a savior and thus into a God. Works righteousness always creates idols. It is simply that the, salt, the false saviors it produces, church attendance, ministry to others, Bible reading, are things we would not normally think of as idols. John Wesley was like this before his conversion. In his days at Oxford, Wesley was a part of the Holy Club. Sounds pretty inviting, doesn't it? The Holy Club. They were a group that knew the truth of the gospel. They, they, they knew the scriptures. They had a certain zeal for God. And yet their religion became a list of activities and things that they had to do to be holy. They did a lot of good work. They went to church. They gave, they fasted and prayed. They visited inmates in prison. They reached out to the poor children in Oxford, providing them food and clothing. They observed the Sabbath on both Saturday and Sunday just to cover their bases. They did both. And yet through it all, they were trusting in themselves and not putting their trust in Christ alone for salvation. John Wesley, years later, in his own words, said that he came to trust in Christ, in Christ 
only for salvation. And then this was so revealing. This is what he said, speaking back to those days in the Holy Club. John Wesley said, I had even the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. Being a Christian is about this intimate relationship we have with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And so ask yourself this morning this question, am I slipping back? Am I slipping back into slavery? Is being a Christian becoming a checklist of do's and don'ts? Do you check the box and move on with your life? My question I often ask myself, and I'll ask my children this at times, is, is do, I, do we have to do these things or do we get to do these things? Is it a privilege or is it something we have to do or else we are going to be punished? Is Sunday morning a, a box to check? Or is it a privilege to come and worship God and hear his word and fellowship and lift our voices together to sing his praises? Is reading the Bible a task among many, which is on our to-do list? Or is it an opportunity to hear your father counsel you and lead you and encourage you and tell you what's most important that he considers most important for your life? Is prayer a privilege or a hassle? Now, listen, there are times that we have to persevere through these things. But the question is, is it a privilege for me? Am I living as a son or am I living as a slave? Because God invites us into his family. He wants us to experience the joy of being in the family of God. You are no longer a slave, but a son. Don't go back to being slaves, but enjoy God as your father. Paul doesn't want them to slip back into slavery. It's throughout this book, he's just trying everything he can think of, right? I mean, he reminded them in chapter one of his own conversion. He talked about how he stood against legalism at Peter in chapter two. He appealed to their experience of the Holy Spirit in chapter three. He's argued on the basis of biblical history and theology, and now it's personal for Paul. He's going to plead on the basis of personal relationship, which is point number two in our text, Paul's heartfelt appeal. Paul's heartfelt appeal. Verses 12 through 20. In this section, Paul pours out his soul to them. He says in verse 11, I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Verse 12, I entreat you, brothers, you're my brothers, Verse 19, I have the affection of a mother for you. And in verse 20, he ends with this wit's end and he is perplexed by them. First of all, look, look at verse 12. Paul begins to remember what it was like when he first came to them. He says, become as I am for I also became as you are. Paul's missionary strategy was to become like them. So as he would enter in, he would he would become like the people he was reaching out to. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 21. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. This is what he did with the Galatians. 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. You get the point. Paul became all things to all people that he might save some. And so Paul's saying, listen, when I came to you, I entered into your lives. I, I did it in such a way so that I could explain the gospel to you. He entered their lives so fully that it's like Paul became a Galatian. I was reminded of that picture we put up at the last family night of, of James in Ghana wearing that complete Ghanaian outfit, which looks so beautiful and bright, you know. He was entering in. He was becoming as Ghanaian as James could become. And now Paul's saying, listen, I became like you. I came to you. Now become like me. Hey, become like me. Now, I'm sure there's many things Paul did not want them to be like as him. But Paul was free. He was filled with joy. He was enjoying Christ. He wanted them to live like that. They were being led back to slavery. He said, become as I am, free, joyful, enjoying God as my father. We should all desire those we love to enjoy God the way we do. Sometimes evangelism, it can feel like when we're reaching out to others or evangelizing them, it's like we have, we, we can think this about ourselves, like I have some agenda I'm pressing on them and they don't want to hear this and this is going to feel forced. And certainly evangelism includes a call to repentance and faith. But when I'm reaching out to others, I want them to know that I'm jealous that they experience the joy of knowing God I've experienced. It's, it's, it's not so much a mandate as it is an invitation into the family of God. I want them to see I have something so good, so amazing. I can't believe I have this good news and God is my father and you should come on in. The water is warm, boys. Come on in. Evangelism is not just another box we check to be saved, but an invitation into the joy of God's family. That's what Paul is saying. I became like you. I invited you in. Become like me. And here's the, the question he has in verse 15. What has become of the blessing you felt? What happened to your joy? It's a great question. Blessing literally means they counted themselves happy. They were surprised God would save them. They were honored Christ would die for them. They were blessed and happy and joyful and they were undeserving. They were bewildered by the fact that the gospel would come to them. They thought, what good fortune we have that the gospel would come to us. They were humbled and grateful and filled with joy. Man, it all happened because Paul was sick when he came there. Look at verse 13. Paul's recounting this. He's saying, you know, in verse 13, look down there. It was, it was a, because of a bodily ailment that I preach the gospel to you at first. And we don't know, we don't know what it was. But Paul was sick, and he was detoured from his plan by sickness. And that sickness brought him to the mountains in Galatia. And they received him in verse 14, he says, as an angel. It could have been a temptation for them, but they received him as an angel. They could have despised or rejected Paul, but God opened their eyes. They saw Paul's sickness as the sovereignty of God and a kindness to them. And what we have here is a great example of God's sovereignty and salvation. God works even through trials and sicknesses and setbacks and detours to accomplish his will. 
God used suffering in Paul's life to bring the gospel to hundreds of Galatians. You know what, you know what Paul would do when God detoured him? Paul would look for opportunities. He would say, okay, this wasn't my plan. God took me a different path. What are you doing, Lord? What's going on right now? And when he came to Galatia, he preached the gospel to them. It was a detour for Paul, but it was God's plan all along to bring the gospel to them. And they received it with joy. They said, this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't Paul's plan, but the gospel has come to us. What happened? What happened to them? Paul had a great relationship with them. They treated him like an angel, like Jesus himself, and now they're treating him like an enemy. What happened to the blessing you felt? This is what happened. Slander happened. Flattery happened. These false teachers came in. Look at verse 17. Here's what they did. They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. These false teachers probably questioned Paul's motive. They attacked Paul's character and they used personal attacks to undermine Paul's gospel. Have you ever had a good relationship with someone? Never thought anything bad and someone says something negative to you about them. Maybe they just point out something that annoys them about the other person. And all of a sudden, you never noticed this before, but next time you're with them, you're going, yeah, Zach does clear his throat every time he talks. That is so annoying. I hate Zach. Don't you just hate him? Where did that come from? I never thought that before. I don't hate Zach at all. I love Zach. It's endearing when he clears his throat every time, you know? But, but something happens. We let someone else's opinion of someone affect our view of them and the blessing we receive by knowing them. Paul was a blessing to them. He blessed them. And now these false teachers undermine that. They slandered Paul. And, not, and, and the reason he says in verse 17 is he says, they want to shut you out. The NIV translates that as alienate you from us. They want to separate Paul and the Galatians, and it's working. That's one tool. They had two tools in their pocket they're using here. One is slander, and the other is flattery. Look at verse 17. They make much of you. Literally, they puff you up. They tell you what you want to hear. They are flattering them. Why? To build them up? No, to elevate themselves is what Paul says. When someone flatters you, it's not about you, it's about them. They want you to think highly of them, and so they're going to flatter you so you think better thoughts about them. So Paul says, they're slandering me, they're shutting you out, and they're puffing you up so that you will think highly of them. Flattery is their tool, and they want something from them. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, can't you see they want something from you? Every parent knows the moment when their kids want something from them, when they start to flatter. Hey, Dad, isn't that a new shirt? That looks good on you. Have you lost a few pounds? I love my kids. My, my daughter, her favorite one is, Dad, you're just the most fun dad ever. Hey, you know what we should do tonight? We should go get donuts as a family because you're a fun dad, you know? 
I just see it coming. It's like as soon as you're heading out the door to go Christmas shopping, man, the compliments are rolling in. It's flattery. Don't be deceived. Flattery is a form of manipulation to get what you want from somebody. And Paul says, listen, if I become your enemy because I told you the truth, and now these false teachers flatter you, you don't see they want something from you. Romans 16 warns us to avoid such people as flatterers because Paul says, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. It appears the Galatians were naive and their hearts were being deceived and they were making much of them to manipulate them. And Paul loves them. He just loves them so much. He just is watching them go down this path. He's watching them be flattered and himself being slandered. He's remembering, you know, this is what happened when I was with you. What happened to this blessing? There was such a joy in receiving the gospel and God was at work and I leave. And what happened here? And in verse, five, verse 19, I think it's kind of, Paul's final personal appeal in our text, Paul shows his care for them by referring to them as little children. Paul says he's like a mom when he thinks about his affection and care and concern for them. I think it's revealing, and Paul does this several times, that when he wants to use an analogy for how much he loves and cares for and sacrifices for others, the greatest analogy he can think of is that of a mom. Moms exemplify Christ-like serving and sacrifice. And now this is where, so he reversed himself like a mom, but I think this is where verse 19 gets a little awkward. Paul says he's like a mom, but he says he's like a mom in childbirth. Now, disclaimer here, I've never given birth to a child, uh, and I'm pretty sure... Paul never did either, okay? But, but he's using this analogy because he's trying to communicate the agony and the pain and the perseverance. He's thinking about how he feels working with them and laboring over them and caring for them. And he's like, I care for you so much. I'm like a mom in labor. I just want to see this new life and there's this pain and this trial I'm going through to get there. His desire is for it to be over, to meet this new person. And the problem, Paul says, is he's already been through this. He says, for whom, look at verse 19, I am again in the anguish of childbirth. There's a lot of joy in birth. But I doubt any mom gets done and says, yeah, let's do that again. You know, that was fun. Let's go through that all over again. I mean, just one time, going through it once, mom holds it over you for the rest of your life. You know, anytime she wants you to do something, it's like the cards start coming out. No, I can't do them. No, I can't come in this weekend. I gave birth to you. All right, I'm in the car. I'm coming, whatever you want, you know. That's what Paul's saying. I'm like in, I'm in the anguish of childbirth. It's happening all over again, Galatians. What is he in anguish for? What does Paul want? This is so revealing. You have these flatterers. They're puffing them up. They're slandering Paul. Paul is in anguish for them. Look at the ver end of verse 19. This is what Paul wants. It's until Christ 
is formed in you. I'm going to labor. I'm going to work. I'm going to care. I'm not going to give up until Christ is formed in you, Galatians. The end of the false teacher's goal is that they think highly of them. Paul's goal is that they would think highly of Christ. He wants them to make much of Christ. He wants them to so enjoy Christ, to be solid on the rock of Christ, to have their identity be Christ, to to see Christ finish work for them. He wants them to see God is their father who in spite of their idolatry welcomes them with open arms into a feast that he has prepared for them for all eternity. He wants them to see that they are children of God, not through obedience, but through Christ. He wants them to look at that checklist of all those boxes they're trying to check. He wants them to see every box already checked with the cross of Christ. You are sons. You are not slaves. And I'm going to labor again and work and strive and care for you until Christ is formed in you. That's a pastor's heart right there. I love last week celebrating those ordinations because that's the goal of pastoral ministry until Christ is formed in you. We will work. These guys took oaths. We will strive. We will care. We will watch our hearts, our guard, our life and doctrine until Christ is formed in you. Think much of Christ is the goal. He so desires for them not to go back to being slaves, but to enjoy God as their father. Remember Sasha at the beginning? The good news is Sasha never asked to go back to orphanage number 17. She loved being a part of her family. She thrived in being loved and welcomed and cared for and led and discipled. Her dad, Larry Taunton, who wrote the book, is actually an evangelist who is famous for befriending and debating Christopher Hitchens, the renowned atheist who wrote the book, God is Not Great. And Larry would debate Christopher Hitchens all over the United States in all these contexts. And they would talk about the reality of God and what Christ has done. And he would debate with him intellectually. And he writes at the end of this book about adopting Sasha, about the moment after one of their debates when Christopher Hitchens, this famous atheist, met Sasha. After being greeted, he said, by this healthy, joyful, smiling, energetic girl, Hitchens expressed his surprise by saying, she's not what I expected. Taunton writes, this was a reference to Sasha's HIV. Lively and beautiful is not the mental image most of us have for someone with this condition. At dinner, Christopher watched her from a nearby table. As Sasha laughed and talked to her brothers, her vivacious personality overflowing, Hitch looked amused, even touched. Sasha neither knew that she was being observed, nor that she was a participant in a silent and undeclared debate. The contrast between these two contestants was striking. Here he was at 60-something in Oxonian, a best-selling author and a celebrated public intellectual, while opposite him sat a poorly educated 12-year-old girl who was still learning the basics of the English language. Even so, he was no match for her. Sasha had been transformed by grace. 
He says, Hitch had long maintained that he had never lost a debate. Christopher Hitchens always said that. He never lost a debate. And then the author says this, but he had most certainly lost this silent, undeclared dinner debate to the most unlikely of champions. All of the clever theories contained in his books, lectures, and drawing room conversations seemed hollow before Sasha because the testimony of her life trumped any argument he could make against the gospel. God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has transformed you by his grace. You can enjoy the blessings of God as your Father. And Paul wants you to know, do not go back to being slaves, but live as sons and daughters of God. Enjoy God as your Father. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message by Mike Pluniak given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.